heads of state, financiers, startup founders, and climate change activists. These are among the 3,000 attendees of the World Economic Forum's 50th annual meeting at Davos Closters in the Alps, also known as Davos. You are listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the Nationals newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I am Kelsey Warner, future editor. Joining me on the line in Davos is Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. Hi, Mustafa. Hi, Kelsey. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm very good. I'm sitting in uh, one of the main uh, thoroughfares in the Congress Center in Davos for the World Economic Forum annual meeting. And um, Donald Trump, uh, the President of the United States, has just given a special address. So there's a lot of energy um, in the place right now, so, so to speak. So you um, But just... it's been a pretty eventful morning already anyway. So the probably one of the most anticipated speeches of the week is President Trump's address, which you just left. What was sort of the feeling in the room as he was speaking? His his delivery so, um, was a little I, flat from, from what we were watching here in the newsroom. So he was about 10 minutes late for his speech, much anticipated, huge crowds um, building uh, before the Congress Hall. And, you know, these crowds contain chief executives, um, officials. So it's not, it's not sort of, you know, random fans um, off the street. These are serious people who are suddenly become sort of celebrity struck by the big names. And earlier in the morning, we had Greta Thunberg, the Swedish climate change activist, who all, at all times that I see her here is being followed by her own slipstream of media <laughs> and TV cameras and journalists. You know, there's three or four people always around her protecting her. And, and, you know, just wherever she goes, everyone's just following her. And, and so that was already, you know, it's quite a, a sort of high-profile day to kick sure. off the, the, this year's meeting, the 50th. But also we had Donald Trump's address. So he arrives 10 minutes late. And then, I mean, back home, he is, the impeachment trial is beginning in, in the Senate today. So against that backdrop of what he's left back at home, he then goes on to sort of lay out what I considered sort of a case for the American economic boom. Yeah, exactly. So it was a little bit, you know, for a bit of color, as I said, there was a surreal moment where everyone's ready for the speech. And then um, instead of the founder, Klaus Schwab, coming on to introduce Donald Trump on time, as I said, it was 10 minutes late. And then um, a sort of classic 16th century Swiss cultural performance then happened. And a choir came on stage and did this really beautiful moment. But it sort of invoked a little bit of hilarity and laughter um, uh, for the people who are around me because, um, you know, it was sort of a little bit of an anticlimax. A and, little unexpected. And I kind of felt, yeah, I felt a bit bad for this Swiss uh, uh, choir because they were, they're amazing, but perhaps they, you know, read the room, right. so to speak. Um, <laughs> so did then Donald uh, Trump but, read the room or was he just kind of on message off the teleprompter? Well, it, it was a, a little bit of a, a schizophrenic speech, which maybe in hindsight isn't all that surprising. But it, it seemed like a stump speech, if you know what I mean. Like his, his campaign kicked off a few weeks ago sure. um, for the 2020 presidential elections. And a lot of this campaign focused on you know, checking the boxes that you would expect um, from a speech aimed at sort of domestic voters. So, um, you know, he, he did know because Klaus Schwab, the founder of the forum, did say to him before he started speaking, this audience is the best of what global business can offer, as well as 300 government officials. Um, and Klaus Schwab made the point that, you know, 
the America, America has come here, the United States has come with a really strong delegation led by Donald Trump. And that, you know, that kind of shows America's commitment to having a prominent role worldwide and that investors are confident in the U.S. economy. Now, Mr. Trump came on and immediately talked about um, two years ago when he first came here, he, his message was, you know, America's open for business. We're ready for a big economic comeback. Um, and he talked about economic boom, a lot of exuberance about sort of the kind of economic boom that's never been seen before. Um, America is winning like never before. Lots of trade wins, the recent trade deals that were signed with China um, and uh, yeah. Mexico and Canada. He sort of says U.S.-China relationship has never been better. We're over our rough patch. Which is interesting. And later on, he, he had this line about how um, President Xi and him, apart from both focusing on their own country's interests, love each other. So I mean, it was a big but. You know, we love each other except for, you know, the millions of reasons why we wouldn't love each other. But, you know... He, I mean, overall, Mr. Trump looked a little bit uncomfortable delivering what was supposed to be a unity message. So he meant he, he talked a lot about optimism and, and the, the economy, uh, the economic performance under his administration was a really big part of that. So he, he kind of reeled off so many statistics that it actually was too much. Um, a lot of it on jobs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he talked about creating 7 million jobs, but this was a number that he had always had in mind, even though the forecasts were for about 2 million during his time. Again, that got a little bit of a reaction. Um, but he also talked about an inclusive economy. He referenced African-American jobs, jobs for women. Um, he talked about childcare costs. He talked about single mothers, so a real, um, middle class. A real stump speech before an international audience. Big time. And sort of a... A dropping of the banner mission accomplished on the economy as he in the background is facing the impeachment trial and the 2020 election. So, I mean, it makes sense as, yeah. a, as a ace campaigner that this is how he would have used the platform, uh, I suppose. There was one thing, I mean, he talked about job killing regulations. That for every new regulation that comes in, his administration removes eight, sort of an eight to one ratio. Again, that's, but then, then he will say, like never before, America's open for business, for, um, you know, for companies to come, people to come, factories to open up. So it, it was, like I said, there were a lot of contradictions, but he was trying to strike a very unifying message. Mm -hmm. This was not a, you're with us or against us. He said, if you put your citizens first, this is the gist of his argument, that's how you unite a country. If citizens know they are being put first, workers know, everyday Americans know, that's how we unite. He said, you know, essentially, forget the doomsayers, forget the alarmists, forget the prophets of doom on climate, on anything you like. Ignore them. Let's be positive. Let's be optimistic. And sort of a counterpoint to all of this criticism for an isolationist government, it seems, really pushing back on and kind of rebranding isolationism with citizens first. I want to take a step back and talk about the theme of this year's the 50th Davos World Economic Forum meeting. So stakeholders for a sustainable and cohesive world. What what does that mean? Yes. So as, as, as much as I can understand it, <laughs> right. the key here is, is stakeholder versus shareholder or, um, you know, board of directors. Essentially, who are stakeholders? Stakeholders are um, employees, customers, um, the, the, the residents that might live in the vicinity of uh, a company's operations. Um, you know, the kind of, if you like, the softer side, beyond the bottom line, beyond profit, beyond revenue. Mm 
Mm-hmm. The, the idea being that they can build a new kind of capitalism that is focused on um, people um, rather than uh, profit. And, 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 you know, the 50th anniversary, and Klaus Schwab has been saying it all week, everyone's been saying it all week, the last couple of days that it started, that this has always been the message since 1971, um, that they've always proposed that there should be stakeholders and all of these people should be considered. So the idea is maybe we've lost our way a little bit, but this is a reset and it's going to be more inclusive. And there are a lot of voices here this year in Davos, like Occupy Wall Street, like climate change activists like Greta Thunberg. You know, it's supposed to say that we, we are listening. The trade unions are here. Um, you name it. I mean, you know, every voice is represented. Yes. Can we be more inclusive? So every voice being represented. So I just want to dig into some of the numbers on Davos for this week in terms of attendees. 24% yeah. of attendees. So about around a quarter of attendees are women this year. Average age for yeah. men is 54 years old. Average age for women is 49 years old. And the bulk of attendees are majority European, North American. But... You know, like you're saying, they are drawing in some of the biggest climate change activists and outspoken on Wall Street critics from around the world. So and they're also speaking to a heavily finance audience. Klaus Schwab has said that he really wants to kind of convince investors and hedge fund managers to move their money away from those things that damage the environment. Um, and so this is the audience in which to do that for sure. Uh so what are you seeing in terms of sort of interfacing between <laughs> those 55-year-old men from Europe and the, the youngins who are um, outspoken? And what kind of conversations are you seeing? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm scanning the room now, and it's quite diverse. I mean, all backgrounds mm. um, at, at the moment. So, you know, it kind of anecdotally, yeah, you can, you can look at the numbers, but, but equally when you, the feel of being here is of, of not necessarily, you know, middle-aged white male Europeans or, or Americans. Um, they, you know, that, that's not what seems to be going on. They're in the mix, but they're not dominating the conversation. I mean, sometimes they will, but just by that very nature of, of the fact that they might be the, you know, the, 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 the heavyweight in the room sometimes because they have the experience or they have the position or the sure. title or, or, the, or, the, or the platform. Um, but that, that doesn't mean that they're the only... Um, the only voice that everyone's listening to. I mean, I, having said this, um, you know, the, the World Economic Forum's annual meeting is not an open affair. I mean, this is a an exclusive engagement, and it's supposed to be, and that's why it works, and that's why they're able to gather so many influential people in one place. Now, they've always had programs on the sidelines, uh, you know, for the local community, for young people, because they understand that, you know, that you have to, to be effective, you have to engage, but also... You're not going to get, um, you know, 53 heads of state and, um, you know, eight, eight CEOs of the world, mm-hmm. the eight largest companies in the world represented by their chief executives um, to something that anybody can come to. So, you know, that that is also the field. The magic, the magic kind of dust here is that it's a large number of influential people in one place, yet it feels exclusive enough that it's, it's, it's worth their time, worth their time to come here because, you know, otherwise they go somewhere else. In terms of this climate-conscious meeting, Microsoft made headlines at the start of the week, kind of ahead of Davos, saying that they would be carbon negative by 2030. Uh, has there been reaction to that or other companies that you've been seeing here who are kind of having experimental conversations about what they might want to do? What are the, what are the trend conversations you're hearing around 
combating climate change at a private sector and government level? So, I mean, there was a, lot, there was a the survey out before the, the meeting started that said that five, top five long-term risks for business leaders are all environmental. Mm. So what's, what's, what's happened is, is that it's not about um, people saying, okay, today I've seen the light and um, I, as a result, I'm now going to you know, change everything. I think this has been a gradual process where it's, it's filtered through capital markets, it's filtered through businesses, it's filtered through consumer behavior. And, and really, the people who are coming here, everybody is talking about sustainability and climate change. There isn't one champion, if you like, forgive, forgive me, Greta, but it's not just you. I mean, I think everybody here realizes that they have to have a viewpoint um, and that they will, they will deal with it. But it's a re- there's a lot more realism in the sense of we're not going to stop tomorrow a lot of the practices that you insist, you activists insist we stop. But we are making necessary changes and it will be gradual and patient and we'll have to do it together. Nobody wants a revolution because of the fallout. But certainly, the, you know, the, the climate change, environment, environmental factor, sustainability, everywhere across Davos right now, it's part of the conversation. Mm, and so the feeling is these roadmaps are actually being drawn up. It, it's, it's not, this course isn't going to reverse. I'm looking at a sign on the wall right now. It says partnering with nature. What's your relationship with nature? So, I mean, that's just random. Um, and, you know, it's all around you. And, and, and I think the setting of the Swiss Alps with the mountains and the trees and the, you know, the, the snow um, and today's a very sunny day, um, it, it kind of puts it out there as well. Like we need to protect the natural wonders. And even Donald Trump said we need to protect the natural wonders of this world. Um, and, I, and, and, you know, that now is accepted stance. And if you, you know, if you're not taking that stance um, and dealing with it in some way, then you are not living in 2020. Right. Do so at your peril. So. Can, can you give us some on-the-ground color of what the Davos promenade looks like and who you're seeing? Who are you rubbing elbows with? So this morning, my colleague Cody and I were walking down the promenade. It was still dark. It was about 7 a.m. And it was kind of commuter time. So you could see all the people rushing to and from, you know, some World Economic Forum employees rushing to the Congress Center to start their day. Or you had people going to breakfasts. Um, and, you know, it was it really felt like we, you know, we're all commuting in Davos, but really it's not real, it's a fantasy because no one's really commuting. We're just rushing from one, you know, high-powered event <laughs> to another. Um, but, but the, you know, across the, the promenade, you have Facebook, uh, the names of their, you know, uh, Salesforce. Um, you have the Russia house, the Poland house. Saudi Arabia has a coffee shop, I think I read. The Saudi, the Saudi cafe is part of the MISC Foundation. MISC Foundation has a space. Then the Saudi cafe is there as well. We can go and sort of uh, do a bit of work on your laptop. Um, I mean, the, you know, all the retail spaces are transformed into an extension of um, the annual meeting where companies and institutions and organizations and countries can showcase a little bit of, of, of what matters to them away from this sort of uh, the, the World Economic Forum's own agenda. But there's a lot of affiliated events on the side um, that you know, you're kind of encouraged to go to. Uh, so there's, there's a lot going on. And already the first day, so much energy, I have to say, compared to the last two years. Lots and lots of energy. Do you think that has to do with the subject matter this year or how much, you know, headlines leading up to Davos this year have felt really heightened around the climate crisis in a way that last year's theme, which was on globalization and the fourth industrial revolution, there just wasn't the heightened hysteria (laughs) that there was. Do you think that that has to do with just 
Davos really kind of nailing the content this year? Um, the, I mean, there's big delegations from a lot of different countries um, that have come here this year for various different reasons. So, so you know, you, you've got, like I said, it's quite diverse. It's a big mix. Equally, it's the 50th anniversary, so they're always going to make a splash this year and try and make it feel a little bit special. But my own, my own take is, and, and it's a little bit from what the IMF's managing director said yesterday, of, you know, we're all living in the new normal of uncertainty. And I think the last couple of years, we've kind of all been thinking that we can go in our own direction and that perhaps we could control um, the volatile forces at work in the world today. And, and that everybody realizes, actually, this is what we're dealing with. And it's not up to one particular player to make any particular difference. We'll be better this, off. This is really the scenario we're dealing with. So we have to kind of do it together. Working together. So yesterday you sat down with Martin Frankel, the S&P Global Platz president, to talk oil price outlook for the coming year. What were his takeaways and what did you think of them? So it's interesting because he he very much um, you know believes that kind of oil prices are capped this year at no, you know, maximum, maximum $70. If they get near $70 a barrel, there's a lot of resistance. And that's partly because of the supply and demand dynamics. There's a lot of sort of capacity to produce um, in uh, in the world today, whether that's US shale or even spare capacity that OPEC countries have, um, that if there is a sort of short period shock, whether it's geopolitical tensions in the Middle East or something else, that the market will understand that that will only be a temporary thing. And that, you know, at some point, um, there will be supply moving in to fill any of that. Now, obviously, he says, you never know, there could be sort of longer term changes. But really, we should expect oil prices to sort of be around $65 for a few months, and then probably dip down a little bit as we come to the end of the year. Last question, what are you most looking forward to going into the rest of the week? (laughs) Um, It's not a cop out to kind of uh, dodge the question, um, but yes, there, 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 there are quite a few <laughs> things going on. Um, today, for example, later today, there's a big panel on Middle East economies. So you'll have the likes of Majid al Fatem and, and various ministers in there um, talking about the outlook. We also have this sort of what's become a fairly controversial platform um, later in the week, which is uh, Lebanon's foreign minister, Gibran Basile, is talking about the return of Arab unrest on a panel. Um, and a lot of Lebanese people are very upset that he is directing his efforts towards coming here rather than the current crisis over there. Right. So I'll try and check in on that. As protests um, we, we, are hitting sort of a nadir and a violent yeah. one at that. Sure. Exactly. I look forward to the Iraqi president's speech scheduled for Wednesday. Angela Merkel will be speaking for the last time as chancellor um, this week as well. So that, you know, that there'll be a certain sort of um, bittersweet note to that. She's always been a champion of of cooperation and, and we'll see what her parting message, so to speak, is. Um, and, and then, you know, there's various side events happening. Uh, the UAE delegation has a big event on um, uh, the UAE and governance and technology, uh, which I'll try and go to. Um, <coughs> excuse me, friends of the pod, um, we are all human, uh, .org are uh, having an event on sort of the, the coalescing of the US Hispanic community this year in an election year. Um, so I'll go see what that's about. Uh, so this, you know, really, it's just it's a matter of actually what what won't you no kind shortage of, to get to. of sights, sounds, and insights. So we'll really we'll look forward to seeing your coverage for the rest of the week on the Nationals website, Mustafa. Thank you so much for talking to us. 
Kelsey, thanks so much. Say hi to everyone in Abu Dhabi. Will and, do. Uh, I'll, be ba- I'll be back in the studio next week. Okay, great. Safe travels. Before we finish, a few headlines from the national.ae. Oil prices are unlikely to sustain any significant gains this year, despite escalating tensions in the Middle East. That's according to Martin Frankel, S&P Global Platz president. Alphabet and Google chief executive Sundar Pichai called for international cooperation for regulating artificial intelligence in an op-ed for the Financial Times on Monday. Now, there is no question in my mind that artificial intelligence needs to be regulated, Mr. Pichai wrote. The only question is how to approach it. That's it for today. If you've enjoyed this show, please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you use to listen. Please also leave a review. All that remains is to thank our production team, Arthur Edison, Aisha Khan. Thank you all for listening. Please join us again next time.